once again, let me just say welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. We're so glad you're worshiping with us today. Uh, my name is Pastor Micah, if we haven't met yet, and uh, just really excited to be with you today in God's uh, presence and opening up God's Word together. But before we dive into that, I just want to take a moment to say, not only is today our Harvest Festival, but today is our first uh, family worship Sunday of the year. And so um, all of our kindergartners through fifth graders, let me see your hands. Let me see where you're in the house today. Okay, good. Hey, we are glad you guys are here today. We're glad that you get to be a part of our big church service. And uh, parents, you guys look at me too. Um, it's okay. We know they're in here, all right? They might say some things. They might have to go to the bathroom. They might have to get a drink. Like, it's totally cool. Not going to hurt anybody. Not going to hurt anything. We're glad they're here. We're glad that we get to worship together today. And uh, this is part of discipleship. All right, this is part of us training up our kids in the way of the Lord is for them to see us as adults in God's word, in worship, coming before the throne. And so what we're doing today is, is a, a healthy and a good thing for our kids. And so we're glad they're here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, good. So we're going to get into God's word today. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. If you're a guest with us today, man, we're so glad you're here. If we can help you and serve you in any way, please let us know. We would love to do that. If you need a Bible, there should be a hardback black one on the floor. You can grab one of those and follow along with us today. And uh, if you're a guest with us today and you have kids, um, we normally have kids in their classes. Uh, today's a special day. So like, if you're like, I can't do every Sunday with my kid in here, like, that's okay. Today's a special day. We're doing this for them. Uh, next week, we'll have classes. You can come back and they can be a part of that, okay? So today, we're going to look at uh, the book of Luke, chapter 8. So you can go ahead and get to Luke, chapter 8. And we're going to deal with a topic that I think is really relevant for all of us, um, and that's the topic of fear. And uh, so the message, as you can see, is entitled, Get Free from Fear. And, um, you know, fear is a real thing for all of us, different ways, different times. Um, we have different things that we're afraid of. And so we're just going to start today with a little crowd participation, if you're brave enough. Um, I want you to tell me, right now, you can just tell me out loud, where are some things that you're afraid of? What are some fears that you have? Just shout them out. Come on. I knew that was going to be the top of the list. Spiders, like every time, man, spiders is the top of the list. All right, what else we got? Snakes, okay, yeah. Heights, yeah, that's always, always, always a common one. What else you got? Crowds, failure, sickness, mosquitoes, okay. Uh, I didn't hear darkness yet. Don't be scared of the dark anymore. We're all past the dark thing. Okay, that's good. That's a healthy thing. Um, I didn't hear anybody, like, public speaking, that's usually at the top of some lists for some people. Yeah, okay, I got some hands on that one. We all have different things that we're afraid of, right? Some of them are, some of them are good, rational fears. Some of them may be a little less so. But we all struggle with fear in different ways. You guys hit the top of the list in our house. If you didn't hear it coming from up here, it's spiders. Uh, that's Courtney's biggest fear. And somehow that's been passed on now to our girls. And so they're all scared of spiders. And so that has now become the official spider assassin in the house, okay, which is good for me because it gives me a chance to play hero and get a little ego boost every once in a while. Um, and just this past week, the girls were upstairs getting ready for bed and then they're brushing their teeth and stuff. And all of a sudden I hear Elle screaming for me. And so I walk up the stairs and she's in the hallway with a toothbrush in her mouth. And she's like, she's like, daddy, daddy, spider. And so I walk in the bathroom and I promise you, underneath the toilet was like the smallest spider I have ever seen before in my life. Like if I didn't have my glasses on, I'm pretty sure I couldn't have seen it. Like it was, it was tiny, um, but, the, but they could not go back in the bathroom until the spider was dead. And so daddy got rid of the spider, but we all have these fears, right? They, the different things plague us at different times. We, we can come up with our own list um, you know, maybe it's that Friday, you're getting ready to go home for the, for the weekend, and the boss sends you the email, hey, come to my office Monday morning, and we need to talk. You're like, really? Friday? I got to have that all weekend now? Like, we have these things that come up against us. We have, you know, the, the kids come up to the parents, like, hey, uh, mom and dad, don't be mad, but, right, that's always like one of those, okay, what are you about to say? Um, or the fear of, like, will the cards ever make it into the playoffs again? Like, that's a, it's a real thing, right? So we have these fears but these fears don't have to be what controls or drives or is primary in our life. And sometimes we slip into that and we get covered up and we get enveloped in fear. And the Bible tells us that there's a better way. God offers us a way out of that. So today what I want you to see from this Luke chapter 8 is this, that fear doesn't have to control your life 
if you will follow Jesus. Whatever fear you have, and we had, we had some funny ones that we threw out today. We have maybe some more serious ones that we're not willing to say in public. I get that. But all of those are minimal compared to Jesus. If we'll come to him, if we'll follow him, if we'll trust in him, he can take care of every single one of those things on your fear list. I'm going to show you why here in Luke chapter 8. So look at verse 26. So we're going to start the story today. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. So this is Jesus and the disciples. They're in this boat. They're sailing across the, the, the lake there, and they end up in this new country. And so when Jesus had stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, He had not lived in a house but among the tombs, and when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Here's the first point for you this morning. Um, sin should scare you. All right, there's some things that are okay to be afraid of. Sin should be at the top of that list. All right? sin, is just, sin is something, and the consequences of sin is something that we should be fearful of. And in this passage, Jesus steps out on the land, and he is confronted with this man, it says, that has a demon. Actually, we're going to find out he has multiple demons here soon. And and so we're going to just kind of have a little conversation about demons for, this, for a second here this morning because, you know, we're kind of in this season right now in our culture that loves to, at this time of year, we love to celebrate things that are kind of weird and, and spooky and, and maybe even um, spiritual or dark in some ways. And so let's just kind of get a real assessment of what we're talking about here when we're talking about demons. So the first question, obviously, is what are they? In the Bible, we find out that demons are evil spirits that are opposed to God and his people, okay? Evil spirits that are opposed to God and God's people. We actually, if we dig deeper, we find out not, not any type of spirits. They are fallen angels, all right? Second Peter 2, 4, it'll be on the screen for you, says this. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And so there was a time in history past where God had created angels and a portion of them decided that they were better than God and they were going to rebel against God and they were going to do things their own way and God said, fine, then you're out of here. And he casts them out of heaven and he sends them to the darkness and they become what we now today call demons and they actually are followers of Satan. This comes from Revelation 12:9, also on the screen. And the great dragon was thrown down that the ancient serpent who is called devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. All right? So this is what the Bible tells us demons are and that leads us to the second question of, okay, then are they real? Right? Is this like a real thing or are these made up, mythical, spiritual type of creatures? And the answer is yes, they are real. They were created beings by God, like I said, created as angels who rebelled, who were thrown down, but... They're spiritual beings, not physical beings, right? They don't have a physical form, a body, or like you and I do, right? They're, we can't see them in this physical realm. They're spiritual beings. And so sometimes we see them portrayed in cartoons or movies or whatever as having like these physical forms and bodies, and that's just not what they are, right? They're spirits, but they can spiritually attack. They can spiritually oppress. They can even possess people as has been documented throughout history, not just in the Bible, but even in modern day history in different books and accounts. So they're very real, which leads us to two myths in culture, okay? There's two myths that kind of swirl around these types of spiritual beings. One is that they're fictional characters, that they're, they're not real, they're just made up, they're just, you know, something fun for ghost stories or to scare people or whatever. And the problem with that myth is that it dulls us to the reality that these are real spiritual beings that would love to mess you up. And as we get dull to reality, oh, they're just made up, they're just for fun, they're just fictional characters, then we let our guard down and we're not prepared when they do attack 
or when they do come into our life. But the other myth on the other end of the spectrum that we also have to be careful of is that there's a demon behind every bush. All right, some of you know people that are in this camp too, right? Like everything that goes wrong in their life is, oh, like, oh, that was the devil, that was a demon, that was a spiritual attack, every sin, every problem, every health issue is something like, that's not true either, okay? Um, yes, sometimes that's true, but that's not always true. So the last question is, are, they, are demons then behind our sinful and harmful behaviors? The answer is sometimes. Sometimes, yes, that could be a reality, but most of the time, it's just us. <laughs> you know, I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember the old Phil, Flip Wilson show, right? Um, he always had that character, right? And he always said, the, the devil made me do it, right? You guys remember that guy? Right? The devil made me do it. Um, sometimes that's true, but most of the time it's not a devil, it's not demon, it's, it's us. Because you see, we as humans have sinful hearts, that lead us to sinful actions and sinful behaviors. It's, it's part of the brokenness of this world that leads us into sin. So sin, whether it's a demon or not, doesn't matter really. It's no joke, all right? It has serious consequences. It should be uh, something that we fear, something that we stay away from, something that we want to keep a distance from because sin is always fun for a season, but eventually, the consequences catch up. Right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've been there, haven't we? Right? It was fun for that little time, and then I had to pay for it later. With physical harm, with health risks, with jail time, with broken relationships, with spiritual deterioration in my life, whatever the consequences were, they came to roost. And what we find out is something that we studied this summer when we studied the gospel series. We had a whole message on sin we found out that sin, the main thing sin does is it separates. As sin comes into our life, it separates us from God and his holiness, and it also separates us from other people. It breaks relationships. And that's exactly what Satan wants it to do in our hearts and in our lives. And so look right here in the passage, look at this guy and the effects of sin on his life. It says that he had no clothes, right? He's running around with no clothes. That's not normal. Can we just agree on that this morning, right? Like, that's not how we do things. Um, even in this time period, that's not the way it worked. God had given Adam and Eve clothes as he sent them out of the garden for a reason, to protect them so they weren't left to exposure and other things and problems. And this guy is so far deep into it that he can't even keep clothes on. It says that he lived among the tombs. He no longer lived in a house. He no longer lived in the city. He lived out in the tombs, surrounded by death, surrounded by darkness, completely isolated from all human contact. This was his life now. Sin had separated him in every possible way. It says that oftentimes the demon would seize him, and, and what that means in the word seize is it would, it would take complete control of his body. He, he was so deep in that he no longer could, could control how the sin affected him. It was just rampant, and it had complete control of who he was. And it says that oftentimes he was bound like a captive. Can you imagine that you're so deep in that there comes a point where your hands and your feet are bound? If you look at other passages, it says they were bound with chains and shackles, probably to a rock or a tree to try to confine this guy because sin was so rampant in his life it had taken over every single part of him. He was chained up in a way that many of us wouldn't even chain our dogs up that way. But this is where it had gotten him to. He was captive. He was bound. It says that oftentimes because the demon was so powerful with inside of him that it would actually break the chains it would overcome him in his physical strength and break out and drive him out into the desert. When it can drive you somewhere against your will, you know sin has got a serious grip on your life. That's when it starts to get really scary. Right? When it's no longer me making the choice, it's sin making the choice for me. This was this guy's situation. There was a pastor years ago named Adrian Rogers. He used to say this, sin will take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. 
people in the village around this guy were helpless to stop him, helpless to restrict him. They would chain him, they would bind him, the demon would take over, he would break out. They were trying to solve spiritual problems with physical solutions. And that never works. There are some things that happen to us physically in our brains and the brain chemistry and and, in our health. I get all of that. Sometimes you need medication. Sometimes you need something physical to stop what's going on inside of you. But a lot of the problems that we run into in our life, physical and mental and emotional, are actually spiritually based. And physical things aren't going to fix that. The only solution to those kinds of issues and fears and struggles are spiritual solutions. And this man had gotten to a point where he was so overran in his life by sin that he he was helpless to even help himself. He couldn't free himself. He couldn't break out of this sinful cycle in his life. And if you've ever been there, as some of us have, as some of us have, that's when it gets really frightening, right? That's when it gets really scary and hopeless when you're like, I can't stop this. I can't break it. There are some fears in our lives that are actually healthy, right? So fear is kind of a tricky thing. There's a good side and there's a bad side, right? There's some things that we learn to help us protect ourselves. God has actually put things inside of us, like inside of our body, that when a, a danger is coming at us, something physically rises up in us to defend and run and protect. And that's a fear that's rising up physically in your body to protect you from things, right? Like spiders or, you know, darkness or tornadoes or whatever your thing is, right? Like there's things that our body is, is helping us with fear to get free from danger. We even teach our kids certain fears to protect them, right? Like, the stove is hot, do not touch the stove, right? Like, that's a good fear that we're instilling in them to keep them protected. But sometimes, other fears allow us to get wrapped up in our hearts, in our minds, and they start to cripple us, and they stop us from being effective in our lives. So some of you already know this. Some of you are going to learn a new level of insight to your pastor this morning. So ever since I was a kid, I've had this overwhelming fear of birds. You can laugh. It's okay. Go ahead. All right. I know. It's completely irrational. I get it, right? But like like the kind of level of fear, like it would be totally okay with me if they were all dead or gone or no longer existent or like because they will poke your eyes out kind of fear. Like I'm okay with all of that, all right? And, And this has affected how I live my life at certain times. Our family has been over every square inch of the St. Louis Zoo. I promise you, every square inch, except for the crazy bird houses, right? Because we are not going in there because dad doesn't want anything to do with that. And so our girls to this day have never seen the bird houses because daddy won't go in, all right? So like this, this is what I'm talking about. Sometimes they're crazy things. Sometimes they're actually more serious things, but they start to grab a hold of us and they control us and they cripple us and we can't live the way we want to live the way we need to live. Maybe it's the fear of losing, losing your job, losing a loved one, losing a certain position that you have. Those kind of fears can, can, can paralyze us at times. Maybe it's the fear of failing. I think I heard somebody say that one earlier. Failing at sports, failing at school, failing at work. Some of us, it's just the fear of the unknown. We can't stand not knowing what's coming next. And it cripples us. Sometimes it's a fear of rejection. What if I put myself out there? What if I say something? What if I share something and they don't respond? What if they don't come back? What if they cut me off or shun me? Sometimes we even fear rejection with God himself. Some of you have not been in church for weeks or months or years Because you think whatever's happened in your past, whatever you've done, whatever sin you're carrying, that that's too much. And if you come in and you put yourself in front of God, that he's going to reject you because of that sin in your life. And I promise you today, you have nothing to fear in that regard. That's the exact opposite of what God desires. He wants you to come and bring that to him. 
and let, you, let him free you from that fear and from that sin. But sin is something that we should be fearful of, not in a crippling way, but in a healthy way, right? In a, I'm not going there, I'm not doing that, I'm not believing that anymore because I know where it leads and I don't want to have those consequences again. That kind of fear. We say this often here around Harvest. Pastor James coined this years ago, and I think it's perfect for dealing with sin. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. That's the reality of what it is. And that's not a threat, right? That's, that's not like, I, like God's trying to lay a smack on you and say, this is what's coming. It's just a reality of life. That if you've lived any number of years on this earth, you've come to hopefully understand and realize and experience that when we choose to sin, we choose to suffer the consequences of that sin. So it's something we need to fear. But let's go on with the story. Go back to verse 28. It says, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him. He talks about seizing him and all that kind of stuff. Go down to verse 30. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Second point today is this. Your sin never scares Jesus. It scares us, and it maybe should at times, but Jesus is not scared or deterred in any way by what your sin is and what you're bringing to the table. Here, I want you to just kind of compare the two sides. Right? So you got Jesus over here. you got the guy with all the demons over here. The demons... They're crying out, they're falling down, they're begging Jesus, like three different times it says they begged him, they begged him, they begged him. And Jesus here is commanding them, he's questioning them, and eventually he's giving them permission to do or not do something, right? So my question is this, who's in control here, right? Who's the more powerful being in this instance? It's not them, They might have had the power to to hurt the guy and to control him and have their heyday with that guy, but as soon as Jesus steps on the scene, he has so much more power. He is infinitely bigger and grander and stronger than they are, and he can completely takes over the situation. That's the kind of power that Jesus has. Compare even the names here. It's say he asked the demons, like, what's your name? And they say it's Legion, which literally means many demons. In the text, he explains it for us. In this time period, the Romans, in their army, had a group called a legion. It was 6,000 soldiers. I don't know if there were 6,000 demons in this guy. It might have been less, but the clear, it's a clear point that there was a lot, right? Hence their power over him. But notice how they respond to Jesus. They say, Jesus, son of the most holy God. The all-powerful, almighty, sovereign, creator of the universe, God. That's who we see here before us. They knew exactly who Jesus was. Which is kind of humorous, because just in the previous story, before the one we're dealing with today, right? Jesus and the disciples were out on the lake, and they're sailing across, and the storm kicks up, and the disciples get all freaked out, right? And they're like, Jesus, Jesus, save us. So Jesus like wakes up, and he's like, where's your faith? Calms the storm, right? Like everything's good. And then the disciples say this. Who is this man? The disciples didn't get it yet, but the demons knew exactly who he was. Please don't be fooled. Satan knows the truth, and he's desperately trying to hide it from you. He doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to see. He wants to convince you that there isn't an all-powerful God. He wants to convince you that sin is just what it is. There is no freedom. There's no hope. There's no future for you. This is your life. You just got to deal with it. That's what he wants to drive into your heart and your mind. But he knows exactly who Jesus is. And he wants to keep you stuck in your fear 
and in that sinful cycle in your life. But notice the outcome here as the demons and Jesus, as they kind of have their interchange, the outcome cannot be denied. They beg Jesus, don't, don't kill us, don't send us into the abyss, which is the deepest, darkest hole, the bottomless pit that at the end of time, God is going to take Satan and the demons and cast them into the abyss to suffer his wrath and his judgment. They knew what was coming. They already know that they're defeated. They're saying, not yet, Jesus, not yet. Don't, don't send us there yet. It's not time yet, right? And Jesus says, you're right, it's not time yet, but it's coming. And so let, let's go into these pigs. And he's like, all right, fine, go. And he allows them to enter these pigs. We don't know for sure in this passage, it doesn't tell us, but in another passage in Mark chapter six, I believe it is, it says that there were 2,000 pigs. And Jesus says, go. Right? He forces them to leave. They go, and as soon as they hit the pigs, the pigs run down the bank and into the sea and drown because that's what sin does. It destroys everything it touches. Human, animal, doesn't care. But not Jesus. He's still standing there. He's still speaking truth. He's still giving life. He's going on with his mission. He's not affected in the least by this encounter because that's how the power that he has. Power over sin, power over evil, power over darkness, even power over life itself. There was a guy several years ago in a church that we were part of named Steve. And um, Steve had started coming to church because his wife was badgering him and, and just constantly on him. And uh, he didn't really want to come, but God was doing a crazy, amazing thing in her life. And she knew that he needed God to do something in his life. So he just stayed, she stayed on him. Steve was 50-something years old the first time he came to our church. Um, he had been a drug addict most of those 50 years. Um, in and out of rehab, in and out of recovery programs. Most recently, he had gotten deep into methamphetamines and was addicted again and just down in this deep hole. But he finally agreed to come with his wife to church. And he came in, and he was probably high, and he's sitting there, and he has this death-cold stare on his face the entire service. I'll never forget, like, looking out, man. Like, he was just, I'm here, but I don't want to be here. You know what I'm talking about, right? And at the end of the service, everything is done. Steve walks up to the pastor, and he says, listen, I'm coming here because of my wife, but don't you effing come to my house or visit me or call me or any of that stuff. I'm censoring a little bit. Are you with me? Okay, he didn't censor, Okay. And the pastor's like, okay, got it, clear, all's good, right? But Steve came back the next week. And he came back the next week. And he came back the next week. And three to four weeks in, God had used the gospel to break and soften Steve's heart. And the pastor got a, week, got a call that week and said, hey, I need you to come over to my house. I need to talk to you. The pastor's like, are you sure? We had a conversation, right? Like, so he reluctantly goes and he walks up to the door, and he knocks on the door, and Steve comes to the door and says, he's like, hey, Steve, how's it going? He's like, Pastor, I need to get saved. And he's like, oh, okay, all right, we, we, we can talk about that. Let's sit down and talk. He's like, okay, we can talk, but listen, I need to get saved. Like, now I need to get saved. And Pastor's like, okay, okay, we can do that. So, so they sit down, and they talk, and they go through the thing, and, and Steve comes to the Lord and gives his life to Christ. And he wasn't perfect from that day forward. Right? It, it, takes a long, it takes a little while to break 50 years of sinful cycles in your life. Are you with me? Right? He still had some mess-ups. He still had some issues. But that day, God changed his life and delivered him from addiction. To my knowledge, to this day, Steve has not touched a drug ever since. Right? God has the power. Jesus has the power to free us from whatever it is that's controlling our life. If we'll come to him, if we'll listen to him, if we'll give our hearts and our lives to him. The devil had him trapped in his sin. Some of us, he has us trapped in our sin today. And he wants you to think that there's no way out, but there is. It's through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There's no one that's too far gone. You've not done too much. Your past isn't too bad. Whatever your list of stuff is, Jesus already knows it, and he still says, come. Jesus is not scared of your sin, because he's already died for it. He's already defeated it 
on the cross, when he said, it is finished, he was talking about you and your sin, that it's gone, it's defeated, and if you will just come to him, he will wash you clean, and he will give you grace and forgiveness and a new life that you can go forward in freedom instead of fear. The reality is this, the sin that I am powerless to defeat, Jesus has the power to destroy. He can do it. He can. I, I, I could go through this room and give you testimony after testimony after testimony of people who would say, he can do it. He did it for me. He can do it. That sin that has you powerless, that has you trapped, that has you caught, he can defeat it. He has the power to overcome it. Which brings us to the last part today. Look at verse 34. We'll finish our story. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. There it is again. So he got in the boat and he returned. The man whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming through the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Last point this morning. Let Jesus free you from your scary sin. Whatever you got, whatever you brought in today, come to Jesus and let him free you just like he freed this man. Notice the reaction that happens here when Jesus does this. First of all, you got the herdsmen, right? These guys have been out there watching the, 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 the 2,000 pigs, right? They've been out there all the time. They're always with the pigs. They're doing their thing. It's a normal day. They're always used to seeing the crazy guy across the field in the tombs. He's always over there acting nuts, and everybody stays away from him because you know he's, he's trouble, right? They know this intimately, and all of a sudden, Jesus steps up. The guy's healed. The demon's going to the pigs. 2,000 pigs go into the sea, and they're like, what is going on, right? Like, they've seen it firsthand. Like, they know this is not normal. And so they rush into town to tell everybody, like, you've got, you're not going to believe what happened. You've got to see this, right? They were witnesses to the power of Jesus Christ. And as soon as all the people heard it, they were like, there ain't no way. Y'all are, like, really messed up. Like, something's going crazy. So let's go out and see. So they all go out to see for themselves. And they get there, and they see that it's all true. And every single one of them clearly understood that something supernatural had happened. Right? This wasn't something that just was like a, a, a normal turn of events. Some supernatural power had come into this situation, and they all knew it. Because they saw the change. Right? Here was this man, this demon-possessed man, who the demons were gone. He's now sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed and in his right mind. This is a complete 180 for this guy, right? In a moment, he was healed, the passage says. The Greek word behind heal there is sothe, which literally means saved, right? He wasn't just healed physically or mentally. His heart was saved by the power of Jesus Christ. And he was changed immediately from that point forward. That's what the power of Jesus does. It changes hearts. And it changes lives. Some of you are here today and you think that you're a Christian because at some point you grew up in church or you were baptized as an infant or you were baptized as a young child, right? Or you had some experience when you were a teenager and you went to this event and it was all emotional and it was super great and I walked down the aisle and some person told me to pray this prayer and I said the words and I went home and it was awesome or I'm an American, that makes me a Christian, right? Like there's, like, you've got this idea, like there's something there. But you've never experienced a change in your heart and your life. Whatever spiritual, religious experience you had, nothing changed after that. 
Same old person, same old sin, same old life. It's all the same. I had the experience, but now I'm just going back to the status quo. If that's your story, I really hate to say this, and please receive this with as much grace and mercy as I can muster, but if that's your story, you're not saved. That's not true salvation in Jesus Christ, because when salvation happens, Jesus changes you. He changes your heart. He changes your life. New person, new direction, new outcome. I understand things differently. I see things differently. Like, I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless, but God changes something in me. And if you haven't experienced that change, then you haven't met Jesus yet. Oftentimes I say it like this. If the gospel hasn't changed you, then the gospel hasn't saved you. I'm not trying to put down whatever spiritual experience you have, whatever religious upbringing you have. That's not a, none of that's bad. I'm just saying, if you haven't been changed yet, then you're not all the way there yet. Salvation happens and hearts and lives change. So then look at the response of the people. It says like two or three different times that they were afraid, that they had great fear. Why? Because they don't know what to do with Jesus now, right? Like, there's lots of reasons why we sometimes fear Jesus. And so I'm going to give you five common reasons this morning. It doesn't tell us exactly in the text why they were fearful. We kind of have to try to read the context clues. But here's five common reasons that people fear Jesus. Number one, I fear Jesus because of what I will lose. Right? If I come to Jesus, what am I going to lose? What do I have to give up? Right? What, 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 what's it going to cost me? Right? These people, they already lost 2,000 pigs, right? So like, if Jesus sticks around, what else are we going to lose? What else is he going to take? What else are we going to have to sacrifice to come to this Jesus guy? Sometimes we stay away because we're fearful of what we're going to lose. Number two, sometimes we stay away because we're fearful of what I will gain. Right? If I come to Jesus, I'm going to gain this controlling master who's always on my back and always telling me what to do and always giving me these rules and, and I don't want that. I want to be my own person. I want to live my own life. I don't want to have to submit to anybody else and so I don't want to come to Jesus because then he's going to start making me do things I don't want to do. Number three, third reason we fear Jesus is I fear what I don't understand. I understand that I kind of, there's, some, there's something spiritual and supernatural about this, and I don't understand it, and I can't see it, and I can't touch it, and I can't test it, and there's no scientific proof for it. And so if, if there's something that I can't understand and logically come up with a solution in my head, then I don't want anything to do with that, so I'm just going to keep my distance. Because obviously that's not for me if I can't put it in my box. And I kind of just say something to you this morning, again, with all the love I can give you, if you, if you want a God that fits in your human box, that's a really crummy God, right? Like, if you want a God that just kind of looks and talks and acts like you, like, what is he going to bring to the table, right? God should be bigger than us. He should be something we don't fully understand. That's what makes him God. The third reason we sometimes fear Jesus, sorry, fourth reason, is what will come out. If I come to Jesus, what's he going to expose in my life? What sin is he going to unearth? What's he going to pull to the surface? You know, I kind of have a reputation to keep, and I don't want people to know stuff about me, and I want to kind of keep people at a distance so I can keep my secrets. And if I come to Jesus, I'm afraid his light is going to expose my darkness. And so if I stay away, then I don't ever have to worry about being outed by Jesus. I can keep my sin and my stuff hidden. Fifth, final reason we fear Jesus is what I will feel. Some of us, we have no problem admitting and understanding that, yeah, I'm a sinner, right? Some of us are like, yeah, I got that one down. I'm for sure in that camp, right? I know me well enough to know where I'm at. And if I come to Jesus, what am I gonna have to feel about my sin? Is it gonna be shame? Is it gonna be guilt? Is it going to be conviction and pressure? Is it going to be rejection? Like, I don't want to feel those things, and so I'm just going to keep my distance from Jesus so I don't have to deal with what I know is already a reality in my life. I'm going to reject Jesus before he can reject me. 
I think that's probably what's happening here in the story with the people. They've lost their pigs. They don't understand this guy. It's all supernatural. It's kind of weird. And they're afraid that if he sticks around, other stuff's going to start happening. Other stuff's going to come out. And so, you know what? Let's just get rid of this guy. And so they ask him to leave. All right, so he leaves. But before he goes, the man that he has healed comes up, right? And he's not scared at all. He's like, Jesus, let me go with you. Like, I want to be with you, man. Like, like, let me go. Let me in the boat. You got an extra spot in the boat? Give me, you got a life jacket? No, I don't need a life jacket. Just let me in the boat, right? Like, I'm good. He knows he's been delivered. He knows he's been healed. And he knows it's Jesus who did it. But Jesus says no. He says, no, you got to stay, man. You got to stay because now you're a witness. This is your opportunity to go back and tell everyone what God has done for you. Go and share your story. Go and tell them about the power that you've seen and experienced. And it says in the text that he did that. That he went and he proclaimed to all what Jesus had done in his life. Friends, if you're here today and you're a member of Harvest, if you're a Christian, the call to follow Jesus is the call to help others do the same thing. That is on us, that we're supposed to go and proclaim we should be doing just what this guy did and sharing the power of Jesus with everyone in our lives. Some of you are here today, some of you that are visiting with us, you're here today because your friend or your family member or your neighbor have, has met Jesus and he's changed their life and they want you to have that too. And they're like, hey, come, come with me to this thing. You're gonna hear about Jesus and it, man, it's gonna be awesome and he can change your life just like he changed my life. That's what he calling, that's what Jesus told this guy to do, and that's what we should be doing. But the response that is most interesting to me is actually Jesus' response. When Jesus first heals this guy, right? The demons go out, they kill the pigs, the herdsmen run off. Like Jesus probably knows at this point this isn't gonna end well for him, right? Like, I just killed two thousand pigs, he's going to tell the people, like they're gonna be mad, it's gonna be, you know. So at that moment, he could have gotten the boat, he could have left. He could have moved on to the next town. He could have avoided the conflict and avoided the people, but he stayed. He stayed and he waited for others to come so they could have a chance to believe and be changed as well. But once they came and they rejected him and they said, leave, he left. Because here's the key, friends. Jesus will not force you to do anything. He's not gonna make you believe. He's not gonna make you follow him. It has to be your choice. He's already done all the other work. He's already accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished for you to be saved, but he has to have, he asks you to make the last step. He's not gonna afford, he doesn't want robots. He wants sons and daughters who love him because they've chosen him. So the question today is, how will you respond? How are you going to respond to Jesus? The man in the story, if you remember, was chained because of his sin, right? He had these chains. These people had chained him because they couldn't restrict him anymore. They were trying to keep it at bay. Many of us are in chains, not because somebody else has put us there, because we put ourselves there. We've chained ourselves to our sin and we're not willing to let it go. And it comes to a point where we feel caught and trapped like we're a prisoner and we can't get free anymore and we're stuck and we're chained and this is just always gonna be my life. Like there's no way for me to break out of this sinful cycle. I've tried, Micah, and I'm stuck. I'm in the chains and it's not coming loose. And I'm fearful and, I, and I'm scared and I don't think there's any hope for a different life for me. This is it. I just have to deal with it from this point forward. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to think. He wants you to believe that there's no hope and there's no freedom. But as you've seen in the text, I can promise you, man, Jesus is a chain breaker. Right? He doesn't want you stuck in your sin anymore. And he's come and he's already defeated it and he's already given you a way out. He wants you to experience the freedom of coming to him. But it's on you. It's your choice now. You have to decide what's it gonna be. Are you gonna stay trapped 
Are you going to experience new life and freedom in Jesus Christ? You see, God looked down and he saw us. And he knew that we couldn't break those chains. That we were stuck in our sin. That we had no way out. And he said, I'm going to help. And so he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come and to be born a human, to live a perfect and sinless life. Something that we couldn't do. And then he went to the cross and he died a sinner's death. In my place for my sin. He paid my debt, my guilt, my shame on the cross. And yours too. He died for the sins of all who would believe. And he went into the grave. And he rose three days later to prove that he was God. To prove that he was who he said he was. And that he defeated sin. He defeated death. And now he stands here ready to offer you forgiveness and grace and freedom from your sin. But you have to receive it. You have to choose to come to him and receive it. Just like the people in the story, he won't force you. You have to be like the first man who came and fell down and cried out and said, Jesus, save me. And if you do that with a sincere heart, I promise you that Jesus will deliver you today. So the question is this, will you fear or follow Jesus? Will you fear or follow Jesus today? I opened with this statement, fear doesn't have to control your life if you will follow Jesus. Some of you, I hope and I believe by faith today, some of you here today are saying, Micah, I want that. I want that freedom, right? I don't want to be stuck in my sin anymore. I don't want to be stuck in these cycles that keep coming back and back. And I'm sick of that and I want out. How do I do it? How do I get the freedom you're talking about. Well, Jesus is ready to give it to you right now, right here. So I'm just gonna ask everybody for just a moment, just bow your heads, just close your eyes for just a moment. It's gonna be real quick. Trusting in Jesus, I always say it this way, it's as simple as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. Come and say, Jesus, I don't have this under control. I, I can't break out. I'm a sinner. I need you to save me from my sin. B, believe. Believe that Jesus died in your place for your sin. That he took that on the cross for you so you could be set free from it. And C, confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Come and say, I give you my life. If you'll free me from this sin, if you'll give me a new life, I'm all yours. I'm all in, Jesus. And if you're here today and you want to do that right now, I'm going to give you a moment here just to pray. Those three things. It's very simple. If you've never prayed before, it might sound something like this. Dear God, I come to you. I know I'm a sinner. I know that I can't fix this. I need you to save me. I believe that Jesus was God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. Believe that he can free me from my sin today. I trust you as Savior and Lord. Take my life. Take my heart. I'm all yours. In Christ's name. Everybody can look up. Take a look at me now. If you prayed that today with a sincere heart and you're wanting Jesus to change you, then at this moment, you are a child of God. The Holy Spirit has come and he has indwelt your soul and your body and he's gonna change you. He's gonna set you free. Right? You're not gonna be perfect. There's no perfect people here today. This doesn't make you perfect. This makes you forgiven. And it gives you a clean slate to start following Jesus from this point forward. It gives you a God who loves you with mercy and grace and will continue to forgive and continue to forgive as you continue to learn how to follow Jesus.
When you came in today, everybody with your notes, you should have received a response card that looks something like this. I wanna ask everybody to take that out right now, please, everyone. If you're a member here, take it out. If you've been coming here for months and years, take it out. If you're a guest today, take it out. Okay? I'm gonna ask everybody just to fill this out briefly, please. You can put your name at the top and then just mark one of the boxes that applies to you. If today you prayed that prayer and you trusted in Christ for salvation, there's a spot on there, just mark that for us. I would love to just follow up with you, just to have a phone call, just give you some resources and give you some help about how do you, what are the next steps to follow Jesus. If you heard everything today and you, you think you want that, or you have questions about that, or you're still trying to figure it all out and you need to talk to somebody more about what it means to trust in Jesus, there's a spot for that. You can mark that. I'll be up here in the front as we sing this next song. You can come and talk to me right now if you want or we can get somebody to follow up with you later. If you got another situation, if you don't want to trust in Jesus today, there's a spot for that. If you have already done it, there's a spot for that. There's a spot here for everybody, okay? So just mark whatever box applies to you. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing one more song to close today. At the end of the song, our ushers are gonna come and collect your cards. You can just drop them in the bucket, okay? It's just a a tool for us. This is not, I'm not trying to play on anybody's emotions today. I'm not trying to guilt you in anything. I'm not trying to press you in anything. It's just a way for us to be able to follow up with you as the Lord moves in your heart. So please fill that out. Drop it in the bucket when they come by. We're gonna worship the Lord together. Why don't you stand with me as we pray and sing. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you came for us. Lord, that you made a way for us to be free from our sin. Thank you for meeting us right here, right now, Lord, and speaking to us today. We recognize that our sin and we recognize that we need to be rescued. Lord, break the chains today. Break the chains of fear. Break the chains of sin. Break the chains of of ongoing struggle in our life. Lord, break our hearts. Draw us to yourself. Holy Spirit, move. Change our hearts today. Change our lives today. Maybe some for the very first time. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. For all this in Christ's name, amen.